We are in the fourth chapter of Mark's Gospel. Listen for the Lord from St. Mark. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were there with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Two cows were grazing in a lush field on a lazy afternoon when they heard a truck coming up the road and the closer it drew to them, they noticed two other cows on the side of this truck with the words underneath, pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, and with vitamin A included. So these two cows looked at one another and said, huh, I sure do feel inadequate. What about you, <laughs> right? All those big fancy words, we compare ourselves, don't we? Our inadequacies to the adequacies of others. We do that with the disciples as if they are some sort of standard. They were after the resurrection. But before the resurrection, if you follow the disciples in Mark's gospel, they're going to run you into a wall. If you want to find Jesus in Mark's gospel, you have to find and follow the ones that have leprosy and demons, the ones who are outcasts, the least likely, really. So trying to measure up to super disciples or to family or to ourselves or to our God can leave us feeling fearful and anxious and maybe disappointed. Rarely do we think we're even good enough to be in the boat with Jesus. But that is the jumping off point for today's lesson. The disciples, we should note, they were never really qualified to usher in the kingdom of God. Only a few of them really truly knew something about getting on the water and at night. They were a mixed bag, but they were obedient. Jesus the Christ is not looking for perfectly qualified people through whom he'll do his work. Jesus is looking for people who will say yes, muster up a little courage to get in the boat, and to go to the unknown other side in the dark. I'm glad Jillian referenced our glorious sanctuary. It's one of my favorite things to do when I give tours, is to talk about how the, the ceiling is shaped like the hull of an upside-down boat. This past week, if you saw the photographs of our organ spread out, it looked like somebody had turned a boat upside down and dumped out its contents all over, all over the sanctuary. 
But throughout our sanctuary are images of sailing. Just to my left, on the other side of this liturgical scaffolding, is a shield. It has on it a boat with a cross as the mast, and it has a word, oikumene, it means into all the inhabited earth. The pews, the very pews on which you are sitting, are not individual seats. You're sitting beside someone else. The theology of the pew is that we're rowing through this together. I'm carrying your weight. You're carrying my weight. And throughout the church, there's icons all over. Where you're sitting is called the nave, from which we get the term navy, another seafaring word. Well, we get to row together. We get to pull in the same direction together toward Jesus and then back out into the world. That's part of what happens every time we come and sit underneath this hull, this ship-like voyage reminds us that we're in it with God and with each other. And unlike our story today, it's usually the pew passengers who fall asleep during the lesson, not Jesus. Some of you are getting an elbow right now, I get it, right? Did you know that even for dramatic effect, we tried to please around here, but we dialed up a tropical storm this week because we knew we'd be talking about traveling by boat. Thank you, Claudette. In this series from Mark's Gospel, we are in a master class, the master's class, where Jesus takes complicated situations, complicated images sometimes, and reminds us of what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. This lesson today is, is so simple, right? Faith over fear. After all, we only need faith the size of a mustard seed, and we can say to that mountain, move from there to there. Jesus said something about that too. And so I wonder if by getting out on the sea, onto this laboratory from Jesus's master class, if the disciples thought, let's just put it into practice and see how much faith we actually need to go out into the unknown and into the darkness. Some 2,000 years ago, around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus taught a lesson about faith over fear. After a long and hot day in ancient Israel, Jesus the Christ said, let's get in the boat, let's go to the other side, to the unknown, in the dark. An odd request, not so much if, if it were a fishing request. Jesus didn't say anything about fishing. You see, fishing was really good at night because the temperatures were cooler and the fish would come up. We know that from other places in the gospel as well. But it's a cryptic statement too because in the Greco-Roman world there was this lingering thought that the great Leviathan, the beast, lived below the sea and if provoked it would churn up the waters and, and cause all of the storms. And so beneath the great sea lied an unknown destructive force to which Jesus said, hop right in fellas, let's go sailing at night without a spotlight, no sonar, no GPS, none of the cute little orange vests. And you just have to think, they surely broke out into what a friend we have in Jesus, right? I imagine, and I know from experience, that after a long, tiring day of ministry, after a long week of ministry, there's nothing quite as relaxing as being on the water, gentle waves, 
lapping the side of a boat. It's, it's just enough movement and enough sound to lull one to sleep. I think that's what happened to Jesus. But catastrophe was coming. If you've ever been caught in a thunderstorm on the lake or in the gulf, then you know how life's memories and priorities, they collapse into that singular moment and one feels helpless and hopeless. So in a small wooden boat at night on a mythical sea, the storm swells and Jesus sleeps. Like the disciples, we would find it quite preposterous that Jesus would or that Jesus could sleep through such an episode. Winds ravage the sail, so there's no control. There's loss of control. And the swells keep coming, so it's a rise and it's a fall, and we can't control the going up and the coming down, and it hurts every time it bangs. The boat is taking on so much water, there's, there's just not enough pails to empty it all, and Jesus sleeps. The sleeping Messiah confounds those disciples. It also maddens the disciples that there would be a slumbering Savior. So they shout at Jesus, do you not care? If we lay that reality of a sleeping Messiah alongside the image of God we inherited from our Jewish brothers and sisters, we read that God never sleeps nor slumbers, so what gives? He's always awake, navigating the ship, but not Jesus, not in this story, not for that moment. Maybe there's more to this nap taking Messiah than we think. Maybe we should follow his lead and take more naps ourselves. Maybe there's that. Fear and anxiety are the dual sleeves of a straight jacket which renders one bound and incapacitated. It's part of the human condition to ruminate on one's fears as we did at Jillian's master class earlier with the children. We all do it. Fear of failing. Fear of falling. <laughs> right? Fear of not having enough. Fear of not being enough. Good enough. Smart enough. Accepted enough. Prepared enough. We carry around those fears like loose change in our front pocket. We know it's there. We hear it jingling. We rarely spend it. The coins keep accumulating. We need to dump those fears out into our favorite coin pickle jar or coin drawer. But therapists tell us about the distinctions between fear and anxiety, and I wonder if Mark is doing the same. Because the disciples fear of being thrown overboard. They fear drowning. They fear not seeing their families again. They fear dying. But that's not the question they pose, is it? It's not a fear-driven question. Not really. It's an anxiety. It's a mental health question. Do you not care? The first fear is related to survival. Their question related to their value. Jesus, are we not important enough for you to save us and do something? 
Maybe God is the one being put on trial here. God, do you not care enough to help us when life's storms undo creation and lead us into chaos to the point where we're rent asunder? Do you not care? We tend to say things like, I'm losing control of life to the winds which have severed the masts of momentum and I can no longer control this vessel of my life. The gale force winds of financial loss or relational inadequacies and emotional trauma have rendered me lost at sea with no way of controlling this vessel called life. And God, the waves of guilt and shame, they just keep pounding and they will not let up long enough for me to catch my breath. I'm taking on too much water and I'm about to drown in emotional, emotional insecurity. Do you not care? Have you ever asked those kind of questions to God? It takes a lot of faith to ask those questions of God. Some of you may feel that way this very moment about your life or your family or your church or your country or this world. God, do you not care that people are ripping one another apart? And amid that chaos, Amid that noise, that fear, that anxiety, that calamity, that terror, that dismay, Mark tells us Jesus spoke and all became dead calm. What is dead calm? What does dead calm sound like? If I'm not mistaken, Mark uses a word for how Jesus was awakened that's stronger than saying Jesus just woke up like y'all will in about seven minutes. It's stronger than that. It's stronger than just eyes open, right? Jesus woke up as in he rose up. He stood up. He stood at the front of that boat. And based on the exclamation points that you read in your Bible, he shouted at those winds and waves, Peace! Be! Still! He rebuked them. Jesus shouted at the winds and the waves just like he did the demons who possessed people. Like the demons, the winds and the waves obeyed. Like the Hebrew people of old, crying out for deliverance, God heard their cry and intervened into the lives of drowning people. Somewhere between that chaos and that calm, is our Messiah, who like any great teacher, turns it around and asks questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you not faith? The final verse of this particular reading is fascinating to me because depending on which translation uh, you have in front of you, you get a little different answer. They started out uh, with fear and trembling of this storm, and some translations say uh, when Jesus calmed the waters, rebuked it all, they were still, still fearful. The version I just read uses a little different word. The disciples were in awe. They marveled that Jesus could calm a storm. This type of fear is what we call the fear of the Lord. 
And the fear of the Lord is beginning of what? Wisdom, right. In other words, Jesus does care. He cares about your storm so much that he arises to stand on the bow of that boat and to rebuke the wind and the waves that are trying to overtake you. One of the challenges is we say we're followers of Jesus and we want to hear his voice and listen to his words, but we do not do stillness very well, even though Jesus commands, be still. I actually wonder which storms Jesus came to calm that night. Was it the storm that was brewing on the Sea of Galilee or the storms of fear in his disciples? To whom was Jesus actually speaking? To the actual wind and waves or to the wind and waves of fear and anxiety? What do you say? I've been in a handful of really nasty storms that is outside, meaning it was my fault for being there in the first place. A few of those have happened on the water and it's awful, it's, it's so loud. The, the rain stings as if finishing nails are tacking to your skin. If you try to move the boat the slightest degree forward or backwards, the bilge pumps below, bless their hearts, they're working so hard, but there's just too much rain. And in those moments when I've been on the water and the storms have arisen, I've had Mark 4 in mind. I've said, Jesus, I know you've done it once. I know you can do it again. Do you not care? Make this storm go away. Do you think it happened instantly? No. It took some time. Eventually it went away. But friends, in the storms of life that I've endured, when the winds of waywardness howled and the waves of impiety crashed into one side and crashed into the other, when I felt like I was drowning in hopelessness, I cried out to Jesus then too, okay, I've seen you do this in Mark 4, calm these storms. And in those emotional and relational storms, I have heard the voice of Jesus say, Jay, be still. And everything changed. What about you? To whom do you turn when your life is battered by storms? It's okay to hold God's feet to the fire, by the way, and say, you seem to be sleeping through this lazily, Lord. Hurry up. It takes a lot of chutzpah to pray that kind of prayer and to talk to God that way. It's an act of faith. I just wonder... I just wonder, as we think about the week we all are about to face, wherever it is you're going, I wonder if it's possible that when Jesus, amid the calm and amid the chaos, asked the disciples, where is your faith, if he's not indicting the disciples, where is your faith? But if he's inviting the disciples, where is your faith? Let's go find it together. Let's set sail on these storms of life, and I'll be right there with you. Because maybe one of the marks of discipleship is that life with God and one another is staying in the boat long enough and riding out the storm long enough to see what lies on the other side together. Perhaps we need to read this familiar story with a fresh approach to know that every single person who's here today and, and watching from around 
the world. We need to know what it means to be alive on the other side of life's challenges. Because to think that church life and friend life and any aspect of life is going to be glass-top sea-like sailing is just wrong. Reality doesn't work that way. And more importantly, we're so bad at conflict resolution and conflict transformation that when the storms do come, whether we're on the shore watching it or in the boat when it does happen, our tendency is to avoid those storms or those people going through those storms rather than finding a way to ride out those storms together. And so at a base level, this, this hodgepodge of disciples got in the boat and they stayed in it. Don't miss that point. It's too easy to abandon ship when life gets hard. Stay in the boat. Stay in the pews. Hear your Savior saying, Peace. Be still, I'm right here with you. To that final point, I lead us every week in this exercise. Inhale faith, exhale fear. It is not a magic potion or a formula so that as soon as you leave here, life is gonna be perfectly glowing and it's gonna be just peachy. It doesn't work that way, but it is a starter to acknowledge that we need God and each other that we need to stay in the boat and row with each other. What is your fear? Where is your faith? We're in this journey together, my brothers and sisters. We're walking the line, as the song says, we're walking the line between faith and fear. So don't be afraid. You're not alone. You're never alone. God is with you. So is your church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.